So here we have a mom who she's got anxiety, her husband has anxiety, and now seeing signs of it in their four-year-old. So you can go down two paths. One is that you can say, oh, this is my fault and I did this and I'm such a terrible mom and there's nothing I can do about it. So you can feel guilty about it. You can blame yourself about it and then sometimes do nothing about it. You can also say, well, you know what? This is just a disorder, right? Which that language is interesting to me always. People say, well, I have a disorder and my child has a disorder. That doesn't absolve you of responsibility. It's just a term that we use to describe what's going on. So you could say, well, I have a disorder and so there's nothing we can do about it, right? Again, that's not very helpful either. But what is helpful is to be able to say, this is a pattern in our family. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. So Lynn, this is going to be our first listener question episode of season four. And I think it's a pretty good one. I love listener questions. I think this one actually probably comes up from a lot of our listeners. So I'm currently wallowing in mom guilt. I know that I shouldn't blame myself for my son's struggles with what appears to be anxiety. He's only four. But then I listen to your podcast and I come away with the message that children's anxiety stems basically from how adults present the world to them. And it's the parents or my fault. In my case, my four-year-old son shows signs of being an anxious child and both my husband and I have diagnosed anxiety. So it's highly likely that we've modeled anxious behaviors for him. Unfortunately, when professional advice starts to sound like I'm to blame, I go down a wormhole of self-blame and it's hard to pull myself out. It makes me feel better to think of my son as having some sort of disorder because it depersonalizes his challenging behaviors. How do you help parents change their ways without taking it personally? Oh, so this is such a great question. And I think the reason you and I both wanted to do this is because this is a common parenting challenge, isn't it? When your kids are struggling with anything, be it anxiety or, you know, something that has been passed down in the family, whatever that might be, it's hard to not feel guilty about that because you feel responsible. And it's hard when somebody is pointing out the patterns not to feel blamed. So I think the first thing I really want to do, and I've probably said this before, I say it a lot in my practice, is that there is a big distinction to be made between blame and responsibility. So if we were to talk about this and to use some other situations, if you come from a family that has a lot of addiction in it, and that that was modeled for you, and there might be some genetic predisposition for it, it is not your fault if you have an addiction problem, but it then becomes your responsibility to be able to deal with it. And even in parenting, for example, if you come from a family where there's a lot of history of alcoholism, it's not your fault that there's a history of alcoholism, but it becomes your responsibility to then learn how to talk to your kids about it so that you are giving them the right tools and the right information, all the things that they'll need in order to not 
replicate the pattern. And it might be that this is something that generationally has been passed down through all sorts of perceptions of the world, different behavioral patterns, how the parents talk to the children. Sometimes there's trauma involved in this that's passed down generationally. Also, we know that things like temperament are genetically mediated. So it may be that these two anxious parents had a child that also has what we call a behaviorally inhibited temperament. So there are so many different ways that these patterns can be passed down. That's just a fact. So many different factors that result in these patterns being passed down. So then the question becomes, and how wonderful that your little boy is four years old and you're already paying attention to this and you're already noticing this, then the question becomes, how do you interrupt the pattern? Can you do that without guilt? Probably not entirely, but can you do it with a lot more active learning and responsibility and paying attention to patterns and owning the patterns? and consciously thinking about how you want to convey things to your son, can you do that without guilt and shame being the prominent part of your actions? Absolutely. Yeah, we got to talk about the shame piece because I think it's even, we blame ourselves, we're left with shame. Mm -hmm. And then as parents, that's the very unproductive space to be in, Mm -hmm. right? Shame is never that place from which we make good changes or move through it. So I think it's important to just say the obvious. Every family is part of uh, an emotional system where it's not all perfect. It is not. Every parent has issues of so many different things that could be issues, communication, anger, addiction, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression. No family is free of these things. And it's so important to acknowledge you and your husband both come from these anxious cultures. Like so, so many other people do. Don't, don't focus on the shame and don't focus on the blame. The responsibility that you advise, the more we take action, mm-hmm. the less and less that blame and shame are present and they don't bother us anymore. I can speak to my own parenting. There is something it's not this, but there's another thing that I can easily go to mom guilt, blame and shame. Mm-hmm. But when I take action, I feel great about yeah. it. It's literally, that's the solution. Take ownership and take action of it. That's all you got to do. Right. And the thing about blame and shame is that also that what comes with blame and shame is not seeking help not sharing this with other parents that are absolutely going through the same thing. And it becomes secret, right? So shame and secrecy. So if we think about family legacies in which there's some sort of problem going on, the language that this mom used, you know, she goes into the wormhole. Well, that's the opposite of learning and being open and finding out about shared experiences of other parents. There is so much information out there about helping a child with anxiety and going into a wormhole of guilt and shame is the opposite of being open to learning what you need to learn. So if you can stop blaming yourself and if you can stop feeling guilty and stop feeling ashamed and say, oh my gosh, you know what? This has been going on in our family for a while and in my husband's family. 
So our job is going to be, we're going to learn about it, we're going to pay attention to it, and we're going to respond differently. Is it likely that if both you and your husband struggle with anxiety, that you are demonstrating to your four-year-old or showing your four-year-old how to be anxious? Is that likely? Yes. Are you doing it on purpose? No. You're not saying, all right, let me see how I can make my child anxious. So it really is figuring out what are the patterns that you want to interrupt. Say you are aware that you use a lot of safety chatter, which we've talked about, that you say to your child a lot, now be careful and make sure that you're being safe and Let's make sure that we do everything so that nothing bad happens, right? If you're a parent, I'm just giving an example, but that's an example of just using a lot of language that conveys that the world is a dangerous place. At four, he's still a little tiny muffin, right? He doesn't know how the world works. So how are you finding opportunities to let him step into things, to let him experiment with things that are appropriate for a four-year-old? How are you giving him more autonomy? And how are you also making sure that your worry about him isn't dictating a lot of your parenting? So do you worry about his health? Do you worry about his safety? Do you worry about his emotions? Do you worry about his sleep? Do you worry about fill in the blank? And how does that impact whether or not you give him room to grow and experiment? So paying attention to your worry and how you respond to his experimentation is a really important thing to pay attention to. But the more that you go into that wormhole, the more that you feel guilt and blamed, the more that you want to remove yourself from any responsibility. So when you say, well, he has a disorder, so I'm not responsible, that's just not going to be a helpful stance to take because it's not either or. If he has an anxiety disorder, if you have an anxiety disorder, all the more reason for you to learn and to figure out how to interrupt it. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So 
every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You and I talk about anxiety all the time. Mm -hmm. When you and I are just talking personally, we'll own like we're ruminating on this or Mm -hmm. we're doing this. Like we just sort of normalize it. And we know that you don't ever get rid of worry. Mm -hmm. I have to remember now that our listeners may still not have a full understanding of the ways their anxiety is showing up. So when you have families that come in and clearly you see a pattern of anxiety in the family, I bet a lot of parents still haven't made the connection of what anxiety they're actually modeling, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the education piece that you bring. Right. So talk about that because if you don't understand how your rigidity around bedtime or your rigidity around meal prep or your uh, safety chatter, like that has to be understood. Right. And it's empowering to know it when you, when you know it and you can see it and you can label it. And you don't have to have shame or blame. You can just say, hello, rumination. So that's exactly right. And if you listen, like the last three episodes we did on the big three, right, which you're referring to, rigidity and autonomy and problem solving, go back and listen to those if you haven't listened to those already. Right. Flexibility. Rigidity is obviously the opposite of flexibility. (laughs) We want you to be rigid. (laughs) Yeah. We want you to be more rigid, people, right? Lock it down, for God's sakes. Lock it down. No, we want you to be more flexible. So paying attention to your patterns. There's one thing here with a a four-year-old, right? So you've got a parent of a young child, 
is that looking for your patterns that convey to this child that they are either not capable or that they are not safe. So how do you convey that? And it may be that you convey that, sometimes you convey that by just doing everything for them because it's more efficient and you got to get through the day. Sometimes you do that by stepping in very quickly and stopping them from doing things or not allowing them to take that next step, right? I use the analogy of, of the leash in the uh, problem solving, those leashes that people expand with their dogs and then pull them in tighter. Also, you want to pay attention with your four-year-old is how it is that you manage your own life. So they are watching you. They are absorbing the way that you handle problems. They are watching how you handle stress. So anytime that you are stepping into a place emotionally where you are conveying to your child like, this is terrible, I can't handle this. Oh no, this is awful. What am I going to do? You are showing them that that's what you do when things get overwhelming. The other thing you want to pay attention to is, are you letting your child experiment with things? Are you letting your child build the Legos they want to build? Are you letting your child experiment with different foods? Are you letting your child go a little farther from you or go up on the slide by themselves? And while they're doing those things, is there a constant running commentary about how you would do it or how you want them to do it? Going back to this idea of sort of blame, right? You can say, oh, I'm blaming myself because I'm doing all these things. Or you can say, gosh, I just never even knew that that was a way to make a kid anxious. Or I didn't even know that I was conveying anxiety or nervousness or worry when I was talking in that way. So you become a student of changing your patterns. You become a student of it. You become a learner. And then you convey that openness and that learning to your child also. She used the phrase, the wormhole. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking here's someone who internalizes a lot. Anxiety is an internalizing disorder, as you have described. So are both she and her partner, how open are they with their own struggles? Do they have so much shame about their anxiety that they sort of avoid talking about it? Mm -hmm. Like if you were to imagine this couple's son is four, if they really start developing open communication and not editorializing their anxiety and just acknowledging it, what would a great place to be when the son is 12? What does that look like? What are they working towards? Because worry never goes away. Right. And worry never goes away because we have a prefrontal cortex that can imagine things that haven't happened yet. So when I say worry doesn't go away, I'm not even talking about it in the clinical diagnosable realm. I'm just talking about it as a normal part of being a human being. Yeah, that's a great question, Robin. So where do they want to be at 12 when he's 12? Where they want to be is being able to own that worry shows up, right? Those two words, of course. Of course, you're worried about that. So let's figure out what are we going to listen to? What are we going to pay attention to? And what are we going to ignore? What are we going to allow you to step into? 
what's a reasonable risk for you to take? So you want a 12-year-old that can say, gosh, you know what? I'm starting middle school and I feel really nervous about this, or I have to do this project and I feel really anxious about it, or, oh, I have to try out for this school play and I feel really worried about it, or I'm going to this sleepover, or I'm going to camp. And you being able to say, you know, that is perfectly normal that you would feel that way, isn't it? Because this is a new experience. We're used to this feeling, aren't we? This is a part of being a human being. We're used to this feeling. And being able to talk through that being nervous or worried or anxious about something doesn't necessarily mean, A, that you have a disorder. What it means is that you are stepping into uncertainty and you can tolerate not knowing exactly what's going to happen. So if you've got a four-year-old now, and if the pattern is, in order for him to feel comfortable, we have to make sure he knows exactly what's going to happen, you want to pay attention to that pattern. But what you want ultimately is a 12-year-old who can say, I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but I can handle my discomfort and uncertainty with it, and I can step into it. And you can start saying that now to a four-year-old. Yeah, you know what? It looks like you're a little nervous about this, aren't you? It looks like it's, it's kind of hard to try this new thing, isn't it? So let's see, because we have times when we have to step into things and times when we have to do things that feel uncertain, that feel uncomfortable. The more that you try and take that feeling away, the more that you are supporting the development of more and more anxiety. The more that you say to him in in one way or another, you can't handle this discomfort, let me remove it, the more you're stepping into the pattern. And the more you say to him, I understand that this feels uncomfortable, but we're going to do it anyway. So it doesn't mean that he's going to be able to do whatever he wants whenever he wants, but you want to look for opportunities to say to him, I know you feel this way, but we're going to do it anyway. That's the 12-year-old you want, isn't it? Yep, this is hard. This is difficult. This is challenging. Or this is interesting. This is exciting. This is a little risky. So we're going to allow him to step into things. You want to give him the message that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel uncertain. And that you're going to step forward into that with him lovingly and supportingly. If you go into the wormhole, like Robin is saying, and if you then say, oh, this is my fault and I am doing this wrong, you can go there if you want. But I would much rather have you say to yourself, you know what? This is a family pattern. So I'm going to make sure that I'm not overprotecting. I'm not overstepping in. I'm not conveying worry because that's something I know I have a tendency to do. So I'm going to pay attention to not doing that. Let's take it out of the worry realm, the anxiety realm. And let's just say, for example, I have a parent that comes in that says they have a real problem with anger. They get really explosive. They yell. They lose their temper, right? I have a temper, they say. Okay. So, and I ask them, where does this come from? Probably a family history. It was modeled. They have difficulty knowing how to express their emotions or handle things. They feel really trapped sometimes. Who knows? Now we're going to say, okay, so you have a problem with your temper. So let's talk about how you can learn how to manage that better so that you don't then convey that to your child. 
Now, it's a straight line sometimes to say if you've got a parent that's really rageful or really explosive or has a bad temper, we know that that has an impact on kids. I can blame them for it. I can say, how dare you do that? That's terrible parenting. That's not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, all right, good for you for recognizing this. Now let's figure out, let's give you some tools so that we can break the cycle. It really is okay to just normalize that. And when you're already saying, this mom is already saying, I'm aware that I have this going on. My husband and I are aware that we have this going on. How are we going to change our patterns? It would be the same with anything else. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance. So literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I just like to say, remember the word, I'm just going to take her words literally so that we try and answer it. Mm -hmm. She's basically like, how do I help my son without taking this personally? Mm -hmm. Like, it sounds like there is a, there's an ownership of this. We've said this in recent episodes, anxiety is often a family problem that requires a family solution. That's right. And if that sentiment becomes normalized, I think so many of our listeners feel uncomfortable about having anxiety issues. 
we've got to normalize this, people. Yeah, that's right. Because it's it's so, so common. It's the same thing with depression or alcoholism or all these other things that human beings struggle with. Truly, like, can you think, all of you out there in our listening audience, do you know a family that's completely free of anxiety or depression or substance abuse? I say that all the time. And if you think you know one, guess what? You don't, because it's just part of being a human being. And I've, I've said this before, I think, but my mentor, Michael, said to me once, there is a big difference between something that impacts you personally and something you need to take personally. Impacting you personally, sure, if you've got anxiety, if your husband has anxiety, it's going to impact you, it's going to impact your family. But if you take it personally, as if it's something that you need to feel ashamed about or that you, oh gosh, I, I can't believe I have this going on, it's my fault. It stops you in your tracks. Let me just say this too. One of the things that you said that the mom said in this letter was that she has diagnosed anxiety and her husband has diagnosed anxiety. I hope that you are getting some sort of treatment for that, right? If you have a diagnosable anxiety disorder, I hope that you yourself have taken some steps to learn about what you need to do how you need to help yourself. It really is okay for you to say, I have anxiety, so I need to learn about this. I need to get information about this. I need to get some help for this. There are so many things you can do. We know so much about anxiety and how to treat it. You would be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't be amazed, actually, at how many people say to me, well, I have, I've been diagnosed with anxiety. And I say, well, what are you doing about that? And they sort of look at me blankly. Or, I have depression. Well, how are you treating that? How are you getting help for that? And by treating, I don't mean medication alone. Go back and listen to that episode. But how are you learning about this? How are you helping yourself about this? Again, it goes back to responsibility versus blame. You can figure a lot of this out. You can learn about it. You can get support. You can talk about it. And Robin's exactly right. Normalize, normalize, normalize. The blame and the shame and the secrecy and the, oh, there's something wrong with me and I have this disorder, all of that does not do anything for you to be able to help your little four-year-old. And how wonderful that you're thinking about it, truly. And the flip side is everything you learn to manage your anxiety that your partner learns to manage his anxiety will, in fact, be shared with your son as well. You'll just know how to help him when you understand how to manage your own worry. Mm -hmm. Yep. The more that we treat this as something unusual or something terrible or something shameful or the medical model of sort of like, well, I've just got this thing and there's nothing I can do about it. The more that we do all of that, the less empowered we are to learn about it and figure it out. It's not that complicated. I say this, I'll just say it again. Anxiety is not mysterious and complicated. It does the same thing over and over and over again. People get bad advice about it all the time. People get told things that are fine, but not so helpful. There are so many good things that you can do to just learn about this thing and to make it a part of your family conversation. Let me ask you this. 30 years of practice, you work with families, 
families come to you because clearly there is a need where the the worry in the child has led them to seek professional help. Yes. Right. So that's a pre-selected group. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of families like worry shows up, but they don't think they need assistance with it. Mm -hmm. So they've come to you and then you're like, okay, let's talk about anxiety and and all of the ways that it is kind of ruling your family. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you've talked in the past about you talk and say like, hey, kids, which is the parent that's openly worrying and which is the anxious one? And then there's that moment of like, it's her or it's him. And Mm -hmm. then the parents sometimes are kind of thinking about themselves this way for the very first time. Mm -hmm. A lot, right? Yeah, yeah. And then other families say, no, we know that we have this. But how easy is it for families to understand whether they kind of are clueless with their own anxiety or they've given themselves the diagnosis and the label of being anxious, but there's still a lot of learning to understand who they are and how that's impacting their whole family. Yeah. Just like I say, like, let's normalize anxiety. The patterns of being anxious are normalized within the family. They have been doing these things and they just take it as sort of the normal way that the family operates. Right. I mean, I was talking to a family the other day and the daughter is really anxious and the dad is the pretty anxious one, although the mom is fairly anxious, but it may be just sort of the result of dealing with these other two. And one of the things that they are recognizing that they didn't really recognize is that this worried, anxious daughter of theirs, they do almost everything for her. Here she is, like 13 years old. And they are always trying to make sure that she doesn't get upset to the point where she's watching TV and she's like, I'm thirsty. The mom's like, I'll get you a glass of water. I mean, they really are working so hard to make sure that she doesn't feel uncomfortable, that her anxiety doesn't take over the family. What they have decided their goal is, because they hadn't gotten help before, is to make sure that their daughter doesn't feel anxious. And then we started talking about it. And I say, so, so let's talk about the pattern that anxiety demands certainty and comfort. Look at what you guys do in order to give her anxiety what it wants. And it was sort of like a light bulb went off in their head. Like, oh my God, you're right. We thought that helping meant that she shouldn't feel anxious. If she wasn't feeling anxious, we were doing a good job as parents. And we were actually doing the opposite. They had no idea. They had no idea. The dad was able to say, yeah, I'm really anxious about this and this. The mom was able to say, I'm sort of anxious. They were able to say, oh, our daughter is really, really anxious. But they had no idea how they were working for the disorder. Anxiety wants comfort and certainty. Yeah. Well, loving parenting can feel like that where you're giving them comfort and you're giving them certainty. Right. And this is something we all work on all the time. Right. Say you had a dog would get really nasty and bark and snap at people. You would say, oh, gosh, our dog has this problem where he snaps at people. Let's make sure we do everything to make sure that doesn't happen, right? So the same thing happens with anxiety is if somebody says, oh, your child's really anxious, say you go to your physician or whatever and they say, yes, your child has anxiety, then you think, of course, Well, the goal is to get rid of the anxiety. The goal is to make sure that my child doesn't have anxiety. And so you start doing things to get rid of it. 
And unfortunately, you're doing the things that actually feed it. So it's very counterintuitive. But parents don't know this. This mom who's saying, I'm anxious, my husband's anxious, we've got a four-year-old who's anxious, and our goal is to make sure that we don't feel anxious, unfortunately, then you step in and you do things and you need some coaching, you need some support, you need some permission to handle the patterns of anxiety by allowing the uncertainty and allowing the discomfort and making sure that your worry and your desire to protect your child isn't getting in the way all the time. And that feels very counterintuitive. I just hope with every episode, we are helping change the conversation around anxiety Mm -hmm. and parenting because our mainstream parenting culture is fostering a lot of anxiety in, in our kids. Yeah. It's not helpful, of course, to shame people. We know that, right? I mean, can we just all agree? It's not helpful to shame people. So don't do it. Don't shame yourself. It's also not helpful to completely get rid of or ignore how powerful family culture and social culture is in creating these patterns. So we have to find that sweet spot, which is, let me look and see what my patterns are. Let me own them. I'm not alone in these patterns at all. Oh my gosh, you're not alone in these patterns at all. But how do I own my own patterns? How do I have a goal of stepping in and changing the family pattern? It's not your fault in terms of blaming you, but it is your responsibility to see how do we change the family pattern. Long history of alcoholism in my family. My husband and I have worked very hard to change that family pattern. And so you think about it in this way as well. And that's very empowering, right? So don't go down the wormhole. Step up and say like, I'm changing this family pattern and feel proud about that and feel empowered about that, and know that you can make a difference, it's okay that you have anxiety. It's okay. Jeez, millions of people do. But I want you to feel empowered. Going down the shame-guilt wormhole shuts the process down, right? Open it up. Take action. Learn, right? You're not alone in this at all, at all. So Lynn, you've started recording those family sessions. I have. I've done a few of them. Should we explain what it is? Yeah. So a parent comes on, has a problem. I interview them, offer my advice, my guidance, but they've been really fun. I love them. I've told you after everyone I've done, I've, I've said to you, oh my gosh, I just love doing that. And this is anonymous, by the way. We'll be releasing them this fall. The link is in the Facebook group. Yeah. So if you have a question or an issue and you want some help with it and you're willing to have a conversation with me about it so I can offer you my opinion and my guidance, love to have you. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.